Okay, so we are in lesson three. I, 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 after the end of lesson two, we went into the, the question and answers. Um, I had something in my mind um, for clarification, and I thought about it later. And so I, I just want to kind of tie, tie up a loose end. So you would ask a question about um, can a person lose their salvation? And so I gave the, my short answer, which was no, and I, I explained that whole um, I probably can't just touch that without explaining it again for those who weren't here. Um, who was I here last week? Okay. So she asked a question about can you lose your salvation. And so there's a common idea that's out there. And I guess people kind of throw it around and it's not really explained very well. But it's the phrase once saved, always saved. A lot of people have a negative view of that. And I don't like it either. And so the idea is, and I don't believe in once saved, always saved, because the idea behind it is is that you can make a confession of faith and then live like the devil, and you're good to go. It's kind of like a fire insurance policy. You get saved, pray a prayer at the altar, not really be sincere, not really mean it, and then you just live your life however you want to be. Um, there was actually back in, the, back in the late 70s, early 80s, there was a movement where churches were preaching that you can make that you can become a Christian but not make Jesus your, your Lord. So you can be saved, but he's not your Lord yet. And later on in life, he can become your Lord. And, and, and so from, that, from the time you got saved to the time he becomes your Lord, you just live like you want to live. Well, I just don't believe that's genuine salvation, genuine conversion. When you read Scripture, you read the book of Romans, um, you read just Paul's writings, you see clearly that salvation produces a changed heart and a changed life. And so... I just want to make sure that uh, no one, no one came, came away with what I said yesterday thinking that I believe that you get saved and you can live like the devil and live in sin and, and, and it doesn't matter. And actually this lesson here will clear that up. But um, I do believe that a believer's salvation is secure. It's secure. Our salvation is not dependent upon our ability to not sin. So the idea that if I got to keep my salvation, I have to not sin. Well... How's that working out for you, <laughs> even as a Christian, right? We still sin as Christians. So, and so if my salvation is up for grabs, and like I said last week, a lot of you probably need to get saved again this week because from last Sunday to this Sunday, maybe you committed a sin or maybe you committed a pattern of sins. And so God's the ultimate judge of who's saved and, and who isn't saved. As far as Christians go, we, as Pastor Nay says, we are fruit inspectors, right? So, uh, you know, we... we can see in someone's life whether or not they're a Christian based upon the consistent pattern of their life. Not the, not the perfection of their life, but the consistent pattern. And so this is what this lesson on sanctification is all about. It's about developing a consistent pattern in your life of right living, of righteous living. And the fact that you desire to live rightly is a proof of your salvation. It's a proof that you have been justified. Justification is what we taught this last week. So the proof that you have been made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ is the fact that you desire to live rightly. You desire to turn from sin. You desire to, to live holy. If you didn't, if there was no struggle in your heart, if there was no struggle whenever you lied or whenever you lusted or whenever you were greedy or you were ang uh, mean to your wife or to your husband, there was no struggle and you, you were at ease in your sin, then it's probably a sign that the Holy Spirit is not residing within you. 
Because the Holy Spirit, is, is, if He's living on the inside of your heart, if He's living in you, He's dwelling inside of you, he is going to, He's going to motivate you to pursue righteousness and holiness and right living. Okay? So that's my clarification to last week's answer. So um, now let's talk about the steps of biblical sanctification. So you see in your notes here, it says sanctification is the biblical process that all believers are in. Again, it's very clear, those words there. All believers are in this process. If you're not a believer, somebody is not a believer, they are not in the process of sanctification. That, that, that's impossible. That's called works righteousness. And I'm preaching about that uh, after this lesson. You know, non-believers are not in the process of becoming more like Christ. They can't because they're dead in their trespasses and sins. A dead person cannot become like Christ until he is made alive. So when you're made alive and you are a believer, then you all of a sudden are thrust into this lifelong journey of becoming like Christ. After salvation and before glorification, when we go to heaven, Christians are in the process, good morning, Christians are in the process of becoming more like Christ in their thoughts and actions. As we learned in lesson two, as believers, we have a new nature in Christ. We have new desires to honor God, and we have a sensitive heart towards sin, and we now have a passion to serve God and others. However, and, and this is very key here, however, that new nature that's in Christ, it resides in our unredeemed flesh. So, here's the picture. You become a Christian. Let's just say you lived 10, 15, 20 years as a non-believer, and your flesh, meaning your mind, your will, your emotions, just the way you lived your life was trained by your sinful nature. So that means you thought certain ways because your sinful nature motivated you to think certain ways. And because you were motivated to think certain ways, then you acted certain ways based upon the impulses of your sinful nature. So your flesh was trained by your sinful nature. Well, when you become a Christian, Scripture makes it abundantly clear in Second Corinthians that you are a brand new creation. That old nature has been crucified, has been buried, and that's the picture of baptism. That when we're baptized, it's a symbol of the fact that whenever we go under the water, it's symbolic of the, the crucifying of our old nature. And when we rise up out of that water, it's a picture that we are raised to newness of life with a brand new nature in Christ Jesus. We don't have two natures we're, uh, as Christians, we're not schizophrenic. We, we have one new, one new nature, but where the, where the issue comes in, where the, where the battle comes in, where the fight comes in, where this process of sanctification really rages is, is against your flesh that had been trained by your old dead nature. So your mind, your thoughts, your emotions, your will now has to be trained by your, by your new nature. And so that's the process of sanctification. You're training your flesh to respond to your new desires that are placed there by God. So that new nature dwells in our unredeemed flesh. Our mind, our will, and our emotions must be taught how to respond to sin and temptation. This is what the process of sanctification is all about. A training of our flesh to respond to our new nature instead of our fleshly passions. John, John MacArthur says this, there, there is an inseparable connection between justification and sanctification, between being declared righteous and becoming righteous, between being covered with the holiness of Christ 
and behaving in a holy fashion. Christ does not declare anyone righteous whom he does not make righteous by transforming their nature. So these great truths are inseparably linked. So when God declares us righteous through justification, he is beginning that process of making us righteous in the way that we live and act in our lifestyle. Sanctification begins with the word of God. This is what it says, in, if you see in your notes here, John 17. This is, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. Jesus is praying. This is one of his most famous prayers. Um, and he's praying for us, for us as Christians. He says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So, he's praying to the Father and he's saying, I want you to sanctify them. Now, that word, that word sanctify, sanctification, it's talking about being set apart. To sanctify something means you are setting it apart unto a certain goal, certain purpose. And so to sanctify, for us to be sanctified, it means that in our daily life, we are being set apart unto God for righteousness, being set apart unto God to honor Him. And so when Jesus is praying, I'm going to turn off the air conditioner. I see it's a little chilly. The AC really blows cold there. Um, as, as a Christian, when we are sanctified unto the Lord, so, okay, so Jesus, I, I lost my train of thought there. So Jesus is praying with that picture in mind of what, sanct, of what sanctification is. He's praying that, that we would be sanctified, that we would be set apart from the world unto God in righteousness. And he says something very key here. He says, he says Father, sanctify them, but he says, sanctify them in the truth. In the truth. So he connects sanctification with God's word. And he says what the word is. Your word is truth. So he connects sanctification, becoming like Christ, with God's word. He makes that connection. So, First um, Thessalonians, this is a great scripture here, talks about um, why sanctification is, is important. It says, For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. This is so key here. For this is the will of God. A lot of people want to know what God's will is. Looking for God's will. I don't know God's will in my life. The Apostle Paul makes it clear here. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. It is God's will in your life as a believer that you would increasingly become more like Christ. That you would increasingly be sanctified or set apart unto Jesus continually in your life. Because if that's not happening in your life, then it's probably a proof. If you are not increasingly becoming more like Christ, then it may be evidence that, that, you're, that, that you're not His and you don't belong to Him. You know, that's a challenging um, thought. You know, I'm, my message this morning is going to be, uh, it's, it's another parable. It's on the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Very famous parable where two men come to the temple to pray and one is self-righteous and proud and, and the other is humble and, 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 and uh, contrite. And so, you know, I'm not going to preach my whole message to you, but one, one section of the, of the message, it's this idea that there can be people who trust in their own righteousness in being right with God. And so, whenever somebody preaches the gospel and tells you that that is not where salvation comes from, your own righteousness... You know, there can be good people who live good lives, who attend church, who actually don't realize it, but they're trusting in their own righteousness 
to be right with God. And they're not trusting in Jesus through faith in Jesus to be right with, with God. And so sometimes people like that need their eyes to be opened by the Holy Spirit to see that they've placed their faith in the wrong thing. They've placed their faith in their good works. They've placed their faith in their ability to please God. And all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. All of it. All of it is worthless. Our, our righteousness in trying to earn justification before the Lord is as filthy rags. It, it's impossible for us to make ourselves righteous enough to please a, a holy God. Our, and I'm kind of preaching last week's lesson, but our righteousness has to be a foreign righteousness that is given to us. And that's what happens through faith in Jesus. God gives us His righteousness. And so because of that, God's will is that we would become more like Christ. And so we must have a desire because we know it's God's will to be like Christ. We have to have a desire for sanctification. So, simply put, sanctification is a battle. It's a war. It's not easy. You know, it's a war because the enemy, Satan, doesn't want you to be like Christ. Because the more you're like Christ, the more impact you can have for, for the gospel and for the kingdom of God. The more you act like Christ, the more you think like Christ, the more you respond like Christ, the more you become an evangelist in your world, in your family, on your job, the more impact you can have for God and His kingdom. So, Satan doesn't want you to be impactful. He doesn't want you to grow in Christ. Because a mature believer is a dangerous person for Satan's kingdom. And so, it, it is a battle. It's not easy to become like Christ. It takes, it takes a dying to your flesh. You know, th- those times where your flesh have been trained to live according to your impulses, it takes you, because the Holy Spirit now lives in you, it takes times where you have to crucify your flesh. You have to die to your sinful flesh that, that's been trained, and you have to obey your new nature. And that's a process. But, but the, the way that we go through this is, is a simple process it's not complicated to become like christ is not complicated people make it complicated now it's a war but it's not complicated to win the battle it's very simple it's a very simple process now there's some people who want to believe or would like to believe or sometimes even teach that we become like christ through we can become more like christ through emotional experiences you know i've had lots of emotional experiences in god's presence throughout my life where i'm worshiping the lord I'm in His presence, and I feel His presence, and I'm praying. And it would be nice to think that if I had moments like that continually in my life, that I would just mystically become like Him. You know? <clears throat> That's just not the case. You could worship the Lord at the altar this morning, bawl your eyes out, then leave and get in the car, and your, two, and your two-year-old throws a temper tantrum, and you get in the flesh like that. Because that's just... That's, that's the war. That's the battle. So, emotional experiences are not what transform us. Now, to, to become more like Christ. Now, they're impactful. They, they can reinforce truth in our life. God, can commu- God communicates through us to us through His Word and, and, and while we're in worship. So, I'm not down those moments. But it would be nice if we could be zapped. You know, like I'm struggling in, in an area of sin. All right, Pastor Ben, I need you to pray for me. And I lay hands on you and then Holy Spirit zaps you and then you're good to go. No longer battling with lust. Or no longer battling with anger or greed. That would be a nice setup, wouldn't it? But that's not, that's not what happens. Years ago, um, I was asked to come into a room. This is long before I was, I was here at Living Words. This is more than a decade ago. 
I was asked to come in this room with another pastor, and we were going to pray for this young man who was struggling in the area of purity. I'll just leave it. I'll just leave it. Leave it at that. And so, I'm instructed that we're going to pray for him, and that we're going to cast out this spirit of impurity. And so, you know, I never really heard of a, a spirit of, of, of impurity before. You know, it's not really a, kind of a biblical picture pattern for that. So I'm thinking, okay, yeah, I mean, let, let's pray for him. Let's pray that he walks in purity. And so then, you know, he starts, you know, the pastor starts praying and trying to cast out a spirit of impurity. And I'm thinking while he's doing this, I'm like, yeah, but when this brother leaves the room, when he gets home and he's tempted to look at his computer screen or he's or he sees a, a beautiful per- a woman walking by, you know, what's going to happen then? You know, and so I think it's it's easy to believe that we can do that. But I don't believe that's that's where that's where the battle rages. Now, can can demons and things like that influence Christians? Yeah, they can, but the Christians cannot possess demon spirits. It is impossible. It's like oil and water. They don't mix. If the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, demon spirits cannot dwell with, within you. Now, demon spirits can possess non-believers because they have no, because Jesus is not their Lord. There's no spirit of God living on the inside of them. But for us as Christians, it's a simpler process. And we, we like to overlook it. We want to complicate it and make it some big experience to become like Christ. But it really is a simple process that takes a crucifying of your flesh and a, a desire of your will to pursue. You guys ready for the process? It's very simple. Here's the first step. First step to the bottom of your page. It starts with understanding. Understanding. God's pattern for spiritual growth starts with understanding what the Bible says and what it means. The meaning of Scripture is the Scripture. The meaning of the Scripture that we're reading is the Scripture. If you don't know what it means, you don't have the truth. If you read the Bible and you're confused about what it says, you've got to work at understanding what it says until, so you can really understand the truth of God's Word. So the process of spiritual growth starts with understanding what the Bible says. True sanctification begins with renewing your mind. You're not going to get there through an emotional or mystical experience, as I've been saying. Spiritual growth won't happen by osmosis. It requires the discipline of consistently or constantly putting God's truth in your mind. God's Word is the primary tool that God uses for our sanctification, for our becoming like Christ. It is His Word. His Word shows us how we should live. It shows us who God is. It shows us... It shows us the pattern of righteousness. It, it, it shows us Christ's character and His nature. It, it shows us who we are and who we are to be. And so if we try to become like Christ apart from the only revelation of who He is, then, then we're fighting a losing battle. God's Word is the tool that He uses to make us like Christ. Romans 12.1 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this word, but be transformed. How are you transformed? By the renewal of your mind. So when your mind is renewed and transformed, then you will be able by testing to discern what is the will of God, what's good and acceptable and perfect. So did you see that flow there? Because your mind is renewed, and we know our mind is renewed by God's word, it's washed by the by, by the washing of God's Word, 
Because our mind is renewed by God's word, then we understand what God's will is because we have God's word, because we have God's truth. And so this process of understanding God's word is so critical. And so, so, so many people, I think they struggle to read God's word. So many Christians struggle to discipline themselves to read God's word. And I believe it's because it's, it's a tactic of the enemy to, to get us to that place because he knows that if we will devote ourselves to the, re- to the discipline of the reading and the study of God's Word, then we're going to be miles ahead in this process of sanctification and becoming like Christ because God's Word is powerful and it transforms us. It transforms our thinking. It transforms the way we view the world. So, the sanctification process starts with God's Word. So, the second step that flows right out from understanding is conviction. So, we first take God's Word in, we read it, we study it, we understand it, and then this is what happens. As you grow in your understanding of the Bible, you begin to develop convictions out of that understanding. And those convictions or beliefs determine how you live, or at least how you endeavor to live. As God's truth takes over your mind, it's kind of like brainwashing, as God's truth takes over your mind, it produces principles or convictions that you do not desire to violate that is sanctification it's the transformation of your heart and your will that compels you to obey god's word so we take god's word in we read it we study it we hear it preached on sundays and wednesdays and in foundations classes we take it into our mind and then our mind is transformed our thinking is transformed and then that thinking travels down into our heart which is the center which is our Emotions. It's not speaking of our, of our physical heart, but, but just our emotions and our desires. It travels down into our heart and who we really are. And then it travels into our hands, into our feet, and we start, and into our mouth. We start talking differently. We start acting differently. We start behaving differently. But it's because we started with understanding. We took God's word in. It impacted our heart. Convictions were developed. Sometimes we go to God's word and maybe we weren't convicted about a certain area. And, you know, you were a non-believer. You, did, you lived a certain way. Maybe here's a good practical picture of it. You watched certain types of movies when you were not a Christian. And, you know, certain type of language you could listen to, cursing and things in movies but before you were saved. Then you get saved, and all of a sudden you, you start hearing God's Word taught to you, and you realize that no corrupting talk should come out of your mouth, but only what is profitable for the building up of the body of Christ. And you start realizing when you go to watch a movie you used to go watch and you hear those curse words, there's something that's different. Well, what, what, what happened? Well, first of all, you got saved and the Holy Spirit came and lived on, on the inside of you. But then God's word was taught to you. And so now your mind's been transformed because now you understand that the way you used to think about Language and words and the use of words is different now. And now it, it's, it, 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 it impacts you differently. You know, I, I, re, I remember that process. You know, I, I, I remember being okay with certain curse words, listening, going to movies and watching certain curse words, as long as it wasn't too bad. But then as God's Word began to transform my mind and my heart, now, now, it, it, now I flinch and, and, and I cringe when I hear people curse. You know, I was at the, at the park with my kids, um, I don't know, sometime last week, and um, running around with the kids, and there was this other family that was there, and I don't know how old this boy was, he must have been 9, 10 years old, and he's running around playing hide-and-go-seek with his friends, 
and he kind of gets into a place where he's cornered, has nowhere to go, and he just says, says a really vulgar word. He says it over and over again, and it's coming from this nine or ten year old, and I'm just like, it's like it just like shocks you, and it jars you, because you're like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe that's coming from the mouth of this kid, you know, and 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 honestly, that that's how we should feel when we hear that. We're shocked and jarred by it when we hear it coming from a kid, but really, we should be sensitive to that in our life, you know. And so, but that—that's a simple picture of what happens in in sanctification. Yes. No, I was busy chasing my three-year-old. I didn't have time to go try to help them out. Well, it depends on the circumstance. I'm not sure if that was the right moment to say something. Um, I think his parents knew it and were okay with it. So, so it wouldn't have, they, they heard him, they were within earshot, it wasn't abnormal, so that was, it was not the right moment to say something like that. No. I was, I, I, my mom tells me a story, um, when I was growing up, I don't know, it might have been my son's age, maybe 10 or 11, my parents babysat this little boy, seven, eight-year-old boy, and whenever the parents weren't Christians, and whenever the parents dropped them off, up this little boy off at my dad's house. Um, he's cursing, just cursing, cursing constantly. He gets into the house, and my dad basically tells him, you know, this is not happening. You're not going to talk like this, and, and corrected him and fussed him and got him straight. And he acted like an angel the whole time that he was there. And, of course, I, I don't have no knowledge of this. This is just what my parents told me. And she said that when he saw out the window his dad pulled up in the vehicle, he immediately said a curse word and immediately got back to his foul mouth. Because, so what, what, what was happening in that little boy's life? His mind was being transformed by what was, he was taking into his mind. I mean, it's so, sanctification is simple. It's not complicated. We become the things that we put into our mind, you know. And so if there's anything we want to put in our mind consistently, it's going to be the truth of God's word because we know that God's word, and we're going to study this this next week, we know that God's word is divinely inspired. We know that that the Bible is the very breathed out words of God. So it's not just like any other words. These are God's words. And so whenever we take in God's words, they're powerful. They transform us. They change us. And so understanding comes in through God's word. Then convictions are developed. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. talks about kind of this picture of what we believe and our convictions. So he says, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak. Paul believed, therefore he spoke. So there's that picture of, of believing something, and so we believe something because we hear it, transforms our thinking. There's a conviction that is developed, and then we act. And that's that picture that, that Paul is saying there. I, I believe something, and therefore, as a result, I speak. We hear God's word, we believe something, it transforms us, and therefore we act differently. We talk differently, we think, we think differently. When you read the Bible, you're not trying to just simply know it academically. Though there, there are pluses to studying God's word, to know the historical context of what you're reading, and to know the history and, and the grammar of Scripture and all of that. That's all a part of studying God's word, but it's not just to know it Academically, you're studying the Word of God to develop a set of convictions that rule your life, then inform your conscience, and then guide you toward greater Christ-likeness. 
inform your conscience, and then guide you toward greater Christ-likeness. So understanding, conviction, and then this last step is, is kind of it's not, not really, it's not really a, like a step. Really, sanct- sanctification is a twofold step, understanding and conviction, understanding and conviction. This third point here has to do with what happens in this process. Well, an affection is developed. 1 Peter 2, 2 says this, Like newborn infants long for the spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. And so that's the picture there, that as Christians we have a longing for the pure spiritual milk of God's Word. Have you, you ever had a newborn infant? Any mothers in here? You think back when your baby was newborn? Cell and I, have been, we, were, we were laying in bed a couple of nights ago thinking about what it's going to be like. We're like, okay, we're going to bed right now. It's about 9.30 or 10. Um, in a few months, we're going to be going to bed, and then we're going to be waking up in about two hours, <laughs> and then another two hours, because this is what happens with, with a newborn baby. He, he, when that baby's crying for milk, and it needs something, that you, you can come and put water in its mouth. You can come and rock that baby and tat-tat that baby and walk around the house and do whatever you want to do, bounce it around. It will not shut up until you put that milk in that baby's mouth because it, that is what is going to satisfy that baby. And that is such a beautiful word picture here that the Apostle Paul, or, or excuse me, that Peter is giving us of what we should be like as Christians. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. Speaking of God's word, so that we can grow up into salvation. So what, what does that mean, growing up into salvation? It, it, it doesn't mean that you progressively become saved. It's the, the, the word picture there is that you are growing up in the salvation that you've been given in Christ Jesus. So you, 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 you have this, this insatiable desire for the truth of God's word. This affection is developed in your heart for God's word. And because of that, you grow up, you mature in your faith. If you're truly growing spiritually, you don't read the Bible as mere education. You don't study it just to win an argument. People do that a lot. They go to God's Word because someone's disagreed with them. Well, I've got to go find a proof text to win an argument with somebody. That's not why you read the Bible. If you're truly saved, you read the Bible because you're like a newborn infant and you crave the truth of God's Word because you've seen the power of it in your life. You don't approach it casually or carelessly. And you don't flippantly disregard its truth. You know, that's something that, that, Christians, that some Christians struggle with. And God is working in them, you know. But they'll, they'll hear God's word about a certain area of their life. Or they'll hear something that convicts them. And if they're not careful, they can just flippantly disregard that truth. But if you are really desiring to grow in Christ, when, when God's word confronts you, you humble yourself. You respond with a repentant heart. And you say, Lord, this is what your word says. Help me. Help me to change. Help me to grow because I value your truth. If you're truly growing, you come to Scripture eager for the spiritual nourishment it alone provides. Your affection and hunger for God's truth will be continual, like that newborn infant every two hours <laughs> that baby wakes up. It will be, your hunger for God's will be continual and nothing will keep you from it. But you won't truly love God's Word if it's not already shaping the way you live. And it can't shape the way you live if you don't know it. That's why any method for spiritual growth that doesn't start with the study and the reading and the understanding of God's truth cannot lead you to true sanctification or Christ-likeness. It has to start with God's Word. David says in Psalms 19 concerning God's Word, 
more to be desired, speaking of God's word, God's laws, are they than gold, even much fine gold. I'm going to stop right there. There's some people who wouldn't really agree with that, especially non, non-Christians. They would think, man, I'd, I'd take a whole lot of more, i take a lot of fine gold over God's word. i take, I take a lot of houses and cars and prestige and honor and riches. They want their life now. They would definitely not take God's word over any of those things. You know, I, I've preached a lot of funerals uh, as a pastor, and I, I preached one this, not this last Monday. Was it the last Monday? I don't know, just recently. And I preached the same funeral message each time, and uh, based upon if I know the person or not. If I know them, I can kind of shape it and make it personal. But I have my same points. And one of my last points is that in view of the fact that life is short, you need to evaluate often what matters most. And so I go through this whole thing and I talk about, you know, what matters most. Is it money? Is it success? Is it career? Is it, is it fame? Is it riches and honor? And I talk about Tom Brady and how Tom Brady did an interview one, one, one time. This is when he had won two or three Super Bowls. He's got a supermodel wife. He's got lots of money, houses and cars, fame, notoriety. He's a superstar. And the interviewer basically says, you know, what else? Out, what else is out there for you, Tom? What, what else is there for, for you? What, what, what else is there in life? And Tom said, you know, I really don't know. He said, I, I wish I knew, but I, I, I don't have an answer for you. And so here is a man that has everything. And now he's won a couple more titles, and he's got five Super Bowls, still has a supermodel wife, and still has all the fame. But one day Tom Brady is going to have to get to, to the point where he desires God's word more than he desires all of those things. Because all of those things at the end, the end of the day, when he dies, if he dies before his wife and his kids, they're going to take it all. They're going to have all of his riches. They're going to have all of his stuff. But we know God's word endures forever. And when God's word transforms you and you become a believer in Jesus Christ and you've been given a new nature and your desires change, you desire God's truth and God's word more than anything. Because it is eternal. It is everlasting. You don't take money to heaven. You don't take fame to heaven. You don't take possessions to heaven. But God's word that transforms you goes with you. God is with you in eternity forever. His word and his truth. So more to be desired is God's word than even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them is a great reward. Psalms 19. Amen? Amen. Well, that's, that's the short lesson on saint. It's a simple process, so it's not that, that's not that complicated. It starts with taking God's word in. So I just challenge you, and at this, this next lesson is going to be on the sufficiency of Scripture. And so we're going to dig into the power of God's word, what it is sufficient to do in your life. So we're going to take this next week, and kind of dig deep into what God's Word does and what it is sufficient to do in your life and and its power. But I I just want to challenge you to to value God's Word as a Christian. Value it. Take time. You know, there's so many different ways that we can take God's Word in. You know, I I will open God's Word and I will read it, you know, in a a traditional Bible. Um, Now, you you have to say that now because there's non-traditional Bibles now. Or, or I will drive in my car and I'll connect to my new fancy uh, Honda Odyssey minivan that's really awesome now. I'll connect it Bluetooth. 
I used to not have that. You know, I, I would always buy old used cars. So now, y'all all have been having that for years, but now I've got a, <laughs> I can connect Bluetooth through my vehicle now. And I'll, I'll listen to the audio through the vehicle of God's Word being read to me. So that's one way you can take God's Word in. So there's many ways that you can take God's Word in. You can take God's Word in by listening to people on, on YouTube or other pastors who write, rightly handle God's Word. Be really careful there, though. There's a lot of crazy stuff being preached. But somebody who is a sound biblical teacher, do you know one way that you can, you can really, it's not always, it's not a 100% case, but one way to really distinguish between somebody who's a good, faithful pastor and one who's not, or a faithful Bible teacher, is, is, is answering this question. What is, what is the crux of his message? What is he building his message on? What's the starting point? And so if you have a preacher who his starting point is basically just this idea and this thought, this good idea, you know, he can take that anywhere he wants to take it. But if the starting point of someone's message is the truth of God's word and he builds from there, he builds. I'm not talking like at the beginning of his message he has to read a scripture. That's not what I'm saying. But if, if, if he gets through his message and he's not really making the heart of his entire message God's word, you might want to be a little leery of that. Because anybody can try to convince you of anything, but it's God's word that we want to hear taught. And so you can get that, you can hear that from many different faithful pastors that are out there. So just devote yourself to hearing God's word, reading God's word, knowing God's word. And then if you really want to kick it up a whole notch, start studying God's word. I, I've done a class on how to study God's word. And so we'll, we'll come back through that uh, sometime soon. I'll teach that class again here. But, but learn how to study God's word. How, to, how not just to read it on the surface, but, but to learn how to actually study it in its proper context and, and doing studies uh, about the, uh, uh, the original languages and what the, the words mean. You know, there's a lot of good websites to do that. One great website is uh, blue, blueletterbible.org, blueletterbible.org. And you can put in the search engine there on that site on Blue Letter Bible any scripture reference that you want. And it'll pull it up, and when you pull it up on their front, on the, you know, it, it, it'll pull it up, and it'll break it down for you word by word, and then it'll show you, it'll have the ability to click on a link connected to each of those words, and it'll pull up what the original meaning of that word is, whether it was in Hebrew or in Greek. And so, and then it'll give you cross-references for other scriptures. It's all right there. Like, you click on that, that, that reference and all of it. I, I, I use it very often in my, in my sermon prep because it's a quick way to effectively study God's Word, to go really deep. So, blueletterbible.org. It's a great website. So, any questions, thoughts, comments, concerns? It's really simple. I love you guys. Thank you all for being here. Um, just be praying this morning, now that I have you all here. Um, uh, this this message this morning that I'm going to preach uh, is, is it's it's a gospel message. Um, it's a salvation message. It's I mean the parable of, ta- of the tax collector and, and um, Pharisee. You know the meaning of it is in the first verse before he gets into to the parable. Kind of like last week we got the meaning of the parable in the first verse. Well, Jesus puts it out there again, and he says says he told this parable for those who trust in their own righteousness. So it's very clear what this message is, is going to be, uh, uh, what the parable is all about. And it's, it's, it's a gospel message. It's showing, it's answering the question, how can a person be right before God? How can somebody be right before God? So I'm just really praying that God will send, uh, praying it stops raining, <laughs> 9, oh, 9, 10. 
when it when it rains, when it rains, and when it rains, you know, I'm not going to be shocked if we don't have very many people here, or it's a, typically it's going to be lower than normal. But I'm praying the rain stops soon. But I'm praying that God will send the people that need to, that need to get saved, that that are maybe even in that position I talked about earlier. That you know, they maybe they come to church and they come faithfully, but maybe maybe they're actually not a Christian. Do you know that the Bible paints that picture? It's a scary picture in Matthew 7, 21. It says that in that day, the day of the judgment of the Lord, and people are before the Lord, it says that there will be many people. And when you translate that word many, it means most. In the majority, there's going to be a majority of people. So scary. They're going to stand before the throne and they're going to say, Lord, 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 have we not? And they're going to list, kind of like this Pharisee makes a list that we're going to read. They're going to list all the things they've done that are good. We've cast out devils. We've done miracles. We've done all these great things in your name. And it says the Lord Jesus can look at them and can say, Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness, of iniquity. I have never known you. I don't know you. That is a scary reality. So because I know that's biblical, it's in the Bible, I know that there, there might be people here this morning who have prayed a rote sinner's prayer. They've recited a prayer, but they haven't prayed the sinner's prayer and so you'll understand what i mean mean by that through the message i won't give away my hook there towards the end but uh, you'll you have to wait but um they, they haven't prayed the sinner's prayer yet and um so anyway just be praying that god will draw hearts amen well let's pray right now lord we just thank you for this lesson god i, I thank you for your word god it is it is the way that we're transformed the way that we're changed god i pray that you would help us god to 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 be, to be disciplined, Lord, not to take this process lightly, but to really seek to dig into your word. Because, Lord, first of all, because we love you. Because you changed our hearts. And, Lord, as we are digging into your word and reading it and learning and understanding it, Lord, I know that your word is powerful and it is working in us. And it is changing us. Help us to become more like Christ in the way that we think and talk and act. Lord, we want to be like you. We want to know you. Lord, we surrender to you. We want to be more like you. Lord, I pray for, for, for this service, God, even as we were just saying, Lord, draw people that don't, that don't know you. Draw people to your cross, to your heart, Lord. Let them see their desperate need for salvation. Help them to not place their trust or their faith in their own righteousness. But, Lord, may they humbly submit to you and by faith be justified through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, thank you for coming, and we will see you.